Grace and mercy and peace be with you, my dear friends in Christ, from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus. Amen. I pray that you all had a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving, wherever you were and uh, whoever you were with. I pray that it was a blessed time of, uh, of, of rest and relaxation and giving thanks. Uh, my mom and dad uh, were up visiting from the Twin Cities, and they left yesterday morning, so we had them with us from Tuesday to Saturday, and uh, we had a great time of uh, relaxing. Um, actually, I'm not sure that they did. Uh, the grandkids demanded quite a bit of their attention, but that actually freed me up to do some good relaxing. So thanks, Mom and Dad, right? Uh, it's good uh, to pause and to give uh, thanks to God for all of his wonderful gifts, and I pray you had a good opportunity to do that. Uh, over the last number of months, I've been preaching through different sermon series for four, five, six weeks at a time, kind of covering a theme or a topic um, that, that uh, is consistent over that period of time. And we'll continue doing that again and start up next week. Uh, but today, today I want to pause and do just one standalone sermon. I thought it would be appropriate for us to kind of reorient ourselves in where we are in the church calendar. Uh, for some of you, this is maybe new. Um, for some of you, you've seen this before. There's a lot of words up on the screen that you can't necessarily see. But I want to point out uh, that the church, uh, and I don't just mean our congregation, but the, the church at large, very, uh, you know, denominations across the board, um, are all united in following the church calendar. And we're currently right at the very, very top in the middle, uh, finishing out the season of Pentecost before we begin next Sunday uh, with the uh, Sundays of Advent. So the church calendar is a way for the church annually to tell and recall the story of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And the three main seasons of the church calendar are the season of Christmas, the season of Easter, and the season after Pentecost. And then it's joined together by some smaller seasons, like the season of Advent, the season of Epiphany, and the season of Lent, with a few other celebrations in there as well. So today we find ourselves at the end of the church year, the end of this season after Pentecost, before we begin the Sundays of Advent leading up into Christmas. So next year begins the new church year, all right? So the church year begins uh, next week, not next year. Next week the church year begins. And we'll talk more about what Advent is when we get there next week. Uh, but today, I want us to focus on this last Sunday of the church year. Whenever we get to the last Sunday of the church year, uh, we're forced into uh, looking at the last things, the end things, the last day, the end times even. Judgment day, some people would call it. Now, there are different uh, church denominations uh, throughout our country and throughout our world that have a fascination with the end times, the last things. You'll hear things about Armageddon and the rapture and all of this stuff. I will tell you that all of those people who sell books and movies and all of that stuff about the end times, they're doing just that. They're selling books and they're selling movies, and a lot of those teachings are very loosely based on Scripture. Okay, most Christian people, from a Lutheran perspective, and most Christians throughout the world, as we have throughout history, 
believe that the judgment day, the last day, the end times, that, that this will be a good thing for Christians. All right, we'll talk more about that in a minute. But it will be a good thing for Christians. And what will happen is that Jesus will return one time. And when he returns, he will judge. He will separate the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous. And at the same time, he will recreate the heavens and the earth, and he will raise the dead to everlasting life. That'll all happen at one time when Jesus Christ returns. Now in Matthew chapter 25, our gospel lesson for today, we get a little bit of a glimpse of what Jesus says will happen on that day. And this isn't, uh, this isn't the only place in Scripture that talks about the, the last day, the judgment day. This is just one piece, but we're only going to look at this today. Here's what Jesus says. In Matthew 25, Jesus says that when he returns, he will separate people uh, on his right and on his, on his left. And he will judge between the righteous and the unrighteous, and he will do as a shepherd does. He will separate the sheep from the goats. He will separate the sheep from the goats. We call this Judgment Day, but I believe that not a lot of people like to talk about judgment. People don't like to talk about judgment. Nobody really wants to uh, think about the fact that there uh, could be eternal separation from God, or in other words, that there is actually a literal place called hell. People don't like to talk about that. We live in a society where people really don't want to talk about punishment. We are taught in our society not to judge, right? Not to pass judgment on people. We're taught that it's possible for everybody to be right, no matter what your opinion is or no matter what your belief is. And therefore, it seems like the ultimate goal of our society is for people to just be happy and get along with one another. People don't want to talk about judgment. We just want to be happy and have good things, right? Now, I sort of get this. From a human perspective, I, I kind of get it. As a parent... As a parent, one of the hardest things for me to do is to actually discipline my children. I mean, I'm, I'm good with empty threats, right? I'm good with that. But to actually follow through sometimes on, on disciplining or punishing a child, I'm not really good at that. Nobody likes to see a kid upset or, or uh, crying, right? We want kids to be happy and joyous and definitely, definitely not whining, right? Or stomping their feet or throwing tantrums. We don't want that. We want happy kids. But when we talk about our eternal lives and when we talk about our eternal destination, I, I believe that a lot of people like to think that everybody is going to be in heaven for all of eternity. Except, you know, we like to think that, except for those really, really bad people, you know, there's a special place in hell for people like that, right? You talk like that, right? We don't, we don't want those people in heaven, but everybody else, you know, okay, we'll make room for you. That's how the society talks about the afterlife anyways. I think it's hard for people to talk and to think about the fact that there is going to be judgment. And I think it's hard on a variety of levels, but today I want to talk about two in particular. 
I think it's hard on the level of sometimes wondering and worrying if we are sheep or if we're goats. Okay? Sometimes Christians get caught up wondering and worrying, am I a sheep or am I a goat? Am I going to make it or not? And, and based on what? I think the other level where we get worried is that we worry and we're concerned about loved ones who don't believe in Jesus. Right? We'll take these one at a time, but first, let's look at the first one. Sometimes we Christians wonder if we are sheep or if we're goats. If we're righteous or if we're unrighteous. Let me tell you this boldly and straightforward today. If you are a Christian, if you claim Christ, if you can say Jesus is Lord, you are a sheep. All right? The Bible says that nobody can say and nobody will say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if, if the, those who don't believe in Jesus will not say that Jesus is Lord, and those who do, if you can say that Jesus is Lord, you're a Christian person, and that's it. And therefore, if that's the case, you're a sheep. I'll put a blank sheep face on the screen today. Imagine your face on that sheep. All right? That's a little sheep selfie mirror. Oh, there I am, right? A sheep, right? You are a sheep. If you say Jesus is Lord, if you claim Christ as risen Lord and Savior, you're a sheep. Don't worry about it. You are and you always will be if you believe in Jesus Christ. Seriously, though, you are a sheep. You are a sheep. And this goes back to what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. Over the last couple of weeks, we have talked about how we are saved not because of anything that we can do, not because of anything that we've done, not because of anything that we have left undone. We are saved purely by the merits of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. What he has done for us on the cross, not because of what we have done or left undone. We're saved by grace through faith. God has chosen you, my friends. But if you're paying attention, if you were looking at this gospel lesson today, you might challenge me a little bit. Because you might say, Pastor, whoa, 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 wait a second. Jesus said in the gospel lesson today that we're supposed to do things as Christian people. Didn't, didn't Jesus say these words? For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Jesus, in, his, in this lesson in Matthew 25, is saying this to so-called righteous people, to the sheep. Jesus says, you did all this. And they look at him and say, when did we do it? When did we do this? And Jesus responds, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I don't know about how you read this, but, but when I read this, sometimes I look at it and I say, wait, is Jesus saying that our salvation and our righteousness is based on how well we love people and how much we've loved people? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Is he saying this is a merit-based system? By no means. You've got to go back a little bit because the very first thing that it says here in Matthew 25 is that Jesus comes as king to deliver his inheritance to his children. 
Okay? Before he says any of that stuff about what they've done uh, for the least of these, Jesus says, I've come to give an inheritance. Christian people, my dear friends, your inheritance is eternal life. Now I ask you today, is an inheritance earned? Can you earn an inheritance? No. An inheritance is given to you as a child, right? As a child, as an heir, you receive an inheritance, right? So God has come for his children to give them the inheritance of eternal life. Now Jesus is reminding his children here, though, and saying, as my children, this is what your life looks like when you love the least of these. When you love the least among you, this is what my children do. And when you do, when you do, when you care for the least of all people, when you care for the sick and for the poor and for the marginalized and for the societal outcasts, when you do that, it's as though you are doing it for Jesus himself. So my friends, don't worry. If you claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're sheep. You're sheep, all right? Don't worry. But the second thing that I think is difficult for us, and maybe even more difficult, is that we worry about our loved ones who don't believe in Jesus. Now this is very real. Uh, It's a very, very real thing, and I get it. All of us know people personally who don't believe in Jesus. And if you don't know somebody personally who doesn't believe in Jesus, go befriend a non-Christian person, please. Okay? All of us know people who don't believe in Jesus, and it's so hard for us to understand why. Why would they not? Why would they not believe in this great gift of salvation that God has given to us in Jesus? We don't understand it. And and I think that we don't like to think that there could be some sort of eternal separation for those who don't believe in Jesus. It doesn't make sense to us. We would much more prefer and like to believe that that people can just believe what they want to believe and and that we're not going to get in any fights or debates about religion, right? That's what our society teaches us. Don't, Don't have religious conversations around the Thanksgiving table, that in politics, right? Just, just leave it alone, right? I understand it's hard to have these conversations and to live as a Christian. So what options do we have then? I'll tell you, first of all, we pray. First of all, pray. I think that prayer for the lost is often underrated by Christians, Oftentimes we think, what's my prayer going to do for somebody who doesn't know Jesus? Pray for the lost, my friends. Pray for those who don't know Jesus. And then pray, and then pray that God will give you opportunities to speak and to live as Jesus in humble love for them. And I don't mean, we don't pray for opportunities to fight and to debate on religious topics. We pray for opportunities to humbly love and serve and live as Christ in this world, to simply witness the truth of what we know and believe about Jesus. And then we give it to the Holy Spirit to allow him to be at work in their lives just as he has been at work in your life. And frankly, at that point, We just leave it up to God. We leave it up to the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not our job to convert people. 
That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's our job to live in humility and selfless love for our neighbors as Christ loves us. What I find interesting about this story is that when Jesus comes back, as, as he tells it here in Matthew 25, he returns and he, and he says to his sheep, right, to, to the righteous people, to his children, he, he said these words again, right? When I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you came and visited me. When I was in prison, you came to visit. Jesus says all this to his children. In a sense, he says it to you. And how do they respond to him? They look at him and say, when? When did I do that? Right? I don't remember doing that for you. And, and, and I think the point here is, you know, it's as if they don't even, they don't even recognize the good that they have done. It's, it's almost like, uh, like they weren't even paying attention to what they had been doing in their lives. Or, or maybe they don't even think that they deserve the inheritance. I think the point we could make here is that sheep are dirty. Sheep are dirty. You and me, Christian people, we are pretty dirty people. Now, I did a little bit of research about sheep, and I did find out that sheep can be quite dirty animals. I found an online forum for amateur shepherds, all right? And here's a question that an amateur shepherd posed to some other, you know, sheep herders, and it says this, Our three sheep are a mess. They're dingy, and they're covered in bits of straw and burrs and other random foliage. Plus, their back ends are gross. Not like caked with anything, but just dirty from a few loose droppings over the summer. They don't have active scours or anything like that. You know, we, we keep dry, dry and clean bedding down, but they have run of the whole barn and outside 24 hours a day. But I'm just wondering, is it normal for them to be so dirty? At this point, I don't think we'll ever get the fleece clean enough to do much with it. We plan on using sheep coats next year, but this year we just let them be. I don't know what else I can do to keep them cleaner. Or is it just normal for them to look a mess this time of the year? And it says, in this photo, please note the sheep on the far left is not dirty. He's gray. So here's the, here's the picture. All right. Got some pretty dirty sheep. So the question was, what am I supposed to, should I expect my sheep to be so dirty? And you know what the responses were from all the other people? Yes, sheep are dirty. They're quite filthy. Don't worry about it. Actually, in the spring, it'll all get washed out. You'll shear the sheep. It'll take a little bit of work but it'll all be taken care of. Don't worry about it right now. The sheep are going to be a little bit dirty, but when springtime comes, it'll all get washed out. Friends, I tell you again today, you are sheep. I'm a sheep, but we're some pretty dirty, dingy sheep. We don't do the things that we're supposed to do. We leave undone the things that we should do. And, and frankly, when we do good things, we're oftentimes not even that attentive to what it is that we're doing. We are dirty. But Christ, the good shepherd, loves us all the same. We are his, we belong to him, and when spring arrives and Christ returns on that last day, all will be made new and you will be white as snow. Jesus is going to figure it out. And ready or not, he is coming 
And when he comes, it will be a great day for the Christian. It will be a glorious day. In the end, Jesus will return and make all things clean and all things new. From the depths of our dirt, he will claim us for cleanliness. But what about in the meantime? In the meantime, my friends, Jesus encourages us to live for others as we would for Christ. For our loved ones who don't yet know Jesus, we pray boldly and daily. And then we pray for opportunities to live in love. To live in love for our loved ones, but also for the least of these in our world. For the poor and the sick and the imprisoned and the marginalized and the societal outcasts, we ask God for opportunities to boldly go and live in humble love and service. And when we do, we are boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ in order that we can turn some goats into sheep. And that is possible. God does it all the time. He makes goats into sheep. Because I'll tell you what, Jesus died for the goats too, and he loves the goats. So my friends, go into this world, befriend a goat, would you? Befriend a goat and love them and serve them until the day of everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.